0: Welcome to the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 20th. I'm Anastasia Glova, your host. Tensions between the United States and Russia have been very high lately, as Russia threatens to pull out of the 1987 Nuclear Arms Control Treaty if the United States proceeds with plans to install missiles in Eastern Europe. Recently, Russian President Vladimir Putin shared some very harsh criticism about the United States while speaking at the Munich Conference on Security Policy. While the U.S. response has been tempered, there can be no doubt that tensions are mounting. Here to discuss the situation in Russia and the meaning of Putin's remarks in Munich is editor-in-chief of United Press International Martin Walker, who spoke at a recent Cato conference on foreign policy. You've been the Moscow bureau chief for The Guardian newspaper, so you have some expertise in this area. Uh, Tell me, does the ever more frequent speculation about a new Cold War brewing carry any merit?
1: No, not really. The Cold War wasn't simply a relationship of two superpowers, two nuclear superpowers, challenging each other. It was also about two quite distinct ideologies about the way to organize life for the human race. And there is no ideological battle anymore. Putin is not really trying to put forward an alternative political system to that of the United States. Putin is, he's an authoritarian, but he still mouths the, the rhetoric of democracy, he still talks about rule of law and so on. And so I think we already are seeing a great deal more overt geopolitical rivalry between the US and Russia. We're seeing Russia throwing its weight around with its power and and with its energy strength, particularly with its neighbors and with the Europeans. But this isn't a cold war. This is more the kind of rather edgy relationship that great powers had in the 19th century.
0: Then do Putin's remarks at the Munich conference come as a surprise to you?
1: Not not a huge surprise, no, because if one was looking at the Russian media, as I do regularly, in the week before the events at Munich, before the Verkunda conference, there was a long speech by the head of the chairman of the Russian general staff saying much the same thing and saying that Russia's biggest security problem right now is American aggression and the forward basing of American forces in this enlarged NATO. We even had a statement by the spokesman of the Moscow Patriarchate saying that uh, the world's very dangerous, dangerous now because some people want to build a single caliphate across the world, i.e. Al-Qaeda and and Muslim extremists, and some want to build a unipolar empire, by which, of course, he was meaning the Americans. So the Russian press has been full of quite a lot of criticism of the enlargement of NATO, the forward basing of the Americans, the way in which the Americans have now established military bases in parts of Central Asia and so on. So I wasn't particularly surprised by it.
0: One single center of power one single center of force, one single center of decision-making. This is the world of one master, one sovereign. These are very strong words. What can explain such aggressive rhetoric?
1: Um, Well, it's the kind of rhetoric that you will find from an awful lot of critics of the Bush administration's foreign policy, many of them in the Democratic Party in the U.S. Congress, many of them among NATO allies. Indeed, the supporters of the Bush administration have spoken of this as having been the the unipolar moment, and that uh, when Americans talk about the U.S. as a lonely superpower, they're saying much the same thing. Or when the Secretary of State under Bill Clinton, Madeleine Albright, talked about the U.S. as the indispensable nation. She was saying pretty much the same thing, that the US appeared in the period after the Cold War, the 15 years after the Cold War, to be so completely dominant in military affairs, in politics in economics, in commerce and technology, even in cultural affairs, that there had been nothing like it since the days of ancient Rome. And uh, I think, therefore, that what Putin was saying was expressing a view that an awful lot of people have that is it entirely healthy for any one country, however well-intentioned, however democratic, to be quite that powerful in so many spheres at once.
0: But it's curious to listen to Putin talking about assaults on democracy and multilateralism, considering his record, his domestic record of late.
1: Well, absolutely right. In fact, I was talking to a democratic senator and uh, who said, well, about the, the only thing I really disagreed with about what Putin said was the source from which it came, which is that um, Putin's record on civil rights, on human rights, his record on press freedoms, his record in Chechnya, his use of oil exports, his misuse, I believe, of the law to imprison Mikhail Khodorkovsky and so on, all of these suggest that uh, Putin is perhaps the last person to be able to make a moralistic case against the United States. But nonetheless, it is a case that many people would agree with. And indeed, even the Bush administration seems to have retreated from this unilateralist stance by, as we've seen with North Korea in that, in that crisis, they've been working very closely with the Chinese, with the Russians, with the Japanese, to bring about a diplomatic solution. So maybe Bush has learned his lesson.
0: I think Defense Chief Robert Gates has been very wise to downplay the tensions with Russia. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. And indeed, immediately after Putin's remarks in Munich, the next person to speak was Senator John McCain. And there was a little huddle among the Americans there at the Verkonda conference as they quickly conferred and thought, well, how do we handle this? And they obviously decided that the way to handle it was fairly low key, not a soft answer that turneth away wrath, but a bit of humor, as Gates demonstrated. And I think that humor was a very good way to take the steam out of a lot of Russia's, a lot of Putin's remarks.
0: But it's quite a departure from Dick Cheney's speech in Lithuania last May, in which he all but announced the start of a new Cold War.
1: Well, absolutely, but then Dick Cheney is a law unto himself, but his, the remit of that law seems to be running less and less far in uh, in Washington these days, particularly with the trial of his former top aide, Skuta Libby, underway.
0: What kind of a foreign policy stance should the U.S. adopt towards Russia at this point?
1: Oh, I I think one has to be realistic about three main things about Russia. The first is that it really is the only other nuclear superpower. The US and Russia are the only two countries that can destroy all civilized life on the planet. And Russia has to be treated with a certain amount of ginger respect because of that alone. The second point is that Russia is an energy superpower, the world's largest gas supplies, very deep supplies of oil and so on. And again, I think Russia has to be treated with consideration for that. The third thing is that. One mustn't expect too much too soon from Russia. It took quite a long time for the Japanese, the Germans to recover from. World War II and from the Nazism and the militarism that that had ruled them. The Russians have gone from czarist autocracy to communist autocracy with barely a pause. Russia has never really known what we would consider genuine democracy and genuine freedom of speech and an absence of a secret police. They're still working it out. I think in the long run, Russia is, if it can get over its demographic problems and so on, I think in the long run, Russia is going to become more and more of a normal Europe. European, democratic, prosperous kind of nation. But Russia will always feel, as the French do, as the British do, that they deserve special consideration, that they are a significant power. And uh, I remain an optimist about Russia because I know it well enough to know that it's full of extraordinarily gifted people, most of whom, I think, want their country to be a normal democracy.
0: If it's headed towards the kind of democracy of which you speak and of which, curiously, Putin also speaks, do you then think he's going to step down in 2008?
1: Well, he says he's going to step down, and he, under the Constitution he has to step down. As you probably know, there are rumors in Moscow that one of the reasons for the pressure upon Belarus was that If Lukashenko can be bullied into bringing Belarus back into the Russian Federation, then the existing Russian constitution will no longer be valid, and therefore Putin might be able to stand again. I doubt it. I think Putin's going to step down, he's going to remain very, very influential and powerful, and I think that his speech at Munich was very much aimed at a domestic Russian audience, where increasingly the issue is... Who will be the successor to Putin? Will it be Sergei Ivanov, the defense minister? Will it be Medvedev? Will it be somebody else? And I think that Putin's remarks were made on the one hand to solidify his support among the military and among the Russian patriots and nationalists, on the other hand, to make it very, very clear that once again, what Russia wants from the world is respect.
0: The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.